and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons. And um, this is uh, this is a sad episode. Uh, you know, the just everything's sort of going poorly, right? And that's just kind of how it is right now. That's just the reality. Um, so I think right at the start, what we want to I want to say is um, I think. Now, the Pistons are not totally out of the playoffs. Um, well, they're out of the playoffs right now, but they, they still could have a chance. Um, one of the teams above them are certainly capable of falling apart uh, while the Pistons would then have to go on a run. I would say that it, it would not surprise me at all if one of the teams in front of them really fell apart, whether it's Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Washington, Indiana. Um, Washington, Indiana are probably far enough up that they'd have to it'd be pretty unrealistic to have to have them fall apart to that extent. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if one of those teams does really fall apart down the stretch. Uh, I'm less confident at this point that the Pistons will put together a run to make it really worth anything. But, and basically, there's still an outside shot that they could make it, but we're at the point where they're far enough back where you now would be looking at you know, something bordering on a miracle for them to get into the playoffs. And so as such, um, we're not, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Uh, it's been very frustrating the last, you know, what, two weeks where basically since the all-star break where they've continually lost, the thing that's been frustrating is not just the way that the fact that the Pistons keep losing and they haven't looked very good often. Um, the thing that is, most frustrating, honestly, is the fact that you know that the Pistons did not have a lot of margin for error, and every loss that they had, you just knew that's shrinking the small chance that they had anyways of making the playoffs. And so I think just sort of for, um, <laughs> you could almost say for our, my own sort of sanity and mental health, that's the approach I'm going to take. I'm going to just, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Um they're they're probably going to miss it. If they go on a run and one of the other teams starts to lose a bunch, then we'll start to get worried about that again. But for now, we're just going to assume they're out of the playoffs. We're not going to worry about every single game, whether they're winning or losing at this point, because it doesn't really matter. What we're going to worry about are the small things and the little improvements. And one thing within that is that um, is that pe- some people have suggested oh, they may as well just lose the rest of their games at this point. I mean, no. They shouldn't. Their pick is top four protected, and they're not going to... They've already got 29 wins, so they probably... Even if, literally, they lost the rest of their games, they probably get behind Charlotte. They probably get behind the Lakers. Um, they'd... I'd say there's a pretty good chance the Knicks win five or six games at that point, I suppose. So maybe they'd fall behind the Knicks. Um, Once again, this is literally losing every single game the rest of the way. They're almost certainly not going to fall behind Chicago or Orlando. They're not going to fall behind any of the teams that are at 20 or 21 wins. So even if they lost literally the rest of their games, they would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth. Right? Literally the rest of their games will put them at ninth. Those ain't good lottery odds. 
right? Once again, that'll be them losing literally the rest of their games, and you get ninth. You're not going to win the lottery with that. Um, I still think that it was a good job. It was good work by the Pistons to get that top four protection just in case, because you never know if the Pistons were to somehow win it. You don't want to give up the first pick in the draft, obviously, or something like that. But you, it's not a it's not a significant difference in percentage to win it, whether you're you know in the late teens or ninth. So, and the reality is, even if the Pistons basically went into tank mode, they would not, in fact, lose the rest of their games. They've still got what like they've still got almost twenty left. This is this next game is. They played 64, so they've got 18 games left. So they're not going to lose the rest of them either way. So you're probably, even if you went full tank mode, you're probably looking at 10th. That's that's the reality. So probably not going to get that one way or another. Um. So yeah. Uh. So yeah. Once again, we're just we're not going to worry too much about it, whether they're winning or losing. Obviously, you want to win. Uh, but not going to stress so much about it because the playoffs are pretty much out of the picture at this point, and also you're not going to tank yourself into the top four pick. <laughs> that's that's not going to happen. So as far as the little things to watch for going forwards, um, there's a few different things. One thing, the biggest thing obviously is just Blake Griffin and um, his his sort of comfort in the offense. Um, part of it is him playing really aggressively, and this is something that has been a uh, an improvement for him over the last few games, um, particularly since James Ennis became a became got put into the starting lineup. I feel like he's really started to look. Um, he's looked more aggressive. He's shown some signs of life attacking the basket. So over these four games, let's just bring it up. Okay, so against um, they put him. What game did Ennis become a starter for? Was it the Milwaukee game or was it not the Milwaukee game? I don't actually remember for sure. He scored 25 points last time out, 31 the game before. Um, against Orlando, he only scored 12, but he had 9 assists, 10 rebounds. Um, you know, he's he had a four-game stretch where he really played poorly. Um, but he's really... He's mostly, honestly, the people who have said that he's been really bad have been a little bit overstated. But since James Ennis went to the starting lineup, basically, he started to show a lot better um, signs of life attacking the, ba- attacking the basket, getting stuff done inside. And, um, you know, that's a really good thing. I've mentioned this in some of my, um, my um, game reviews, but I do think that one problem for him has been that when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's been pretty, he's been stagnant most of the time. And, you know, that's not necessarily in a vacuum. Blake Griffin not being super active off the ball is not a huge issue. First off, like, it's not like Blake Griffin is some brilliant cutter or anything like that. He's good as a role man, but just going to the hoop necessarily without the ball is not necessarily, you know, a huge, a huge thing. Um, obviously him running around screens, like he's not a good enough shooter for that. And on top of that, he's a guy who, when he has the ball in his hands, he's asked to do a lot. So it's not, you know, it's not a big deal that you necessarily are like, oh, well, he should really be moving off the ball more. It's like, well, he's, he's not going to do that much, but there are just too many possessions where he just doesn't do anything when he doesn't have the ball. He just kind of stands there calling for the ball and, 
I feel like part of that is just, once again, just sort of natural. That's what stars do. He does a lot when he has the ball. He's not going to go expend tons of energy when he doesn't. Um, and also part of it is that he's not all the way comfortable in the motion offense and such. But I think that that is something to look for going forward, is that when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, going and setting a screen for someone off the ball, occasionally, you know, make at least the threat of going to the hoop as a, you know, cutting to the hoop occasionally, that sort of thing. Because um, that's something that I've noticed is when he's on the floor and he doesn't always have the ball in his hands, what's really made a difference between the offense looking bad and good oftentimes has been uh, if he, when he starts to go in and really throw his weight around a bit. So that's another thing to watch for going forwards. Um, and then a big thing beyond that, because I'm pretty sure that in the end, I'm pretty sure that the offense is going to sort of work itself out. Blake Griffin is a great offensive player. Reggie Jackson's very good. Andre Drummond's very good. I'm pretty confident they can work that out. The bigger issue so far has been that they've not been able to defend while having any offense on the floor. They defended well when they had Ishmith and Stanley Johnson and Andre Drummond on the floor with Blake and Reggie Bullock, but you're not going to score much with that, obviously. So, excuse me, the... The question is going to be, how do you get some competent defensive play without totally just torpedoing your offense? And that's going to be the challenge going forward. Part of that is Blake Griffin continuing to get more comfortable. I've definitely highlighted this time and time again in my second look posts um, that, you know, he's he's being asked to make rotations that he hasn't really been asked to make before in his career. Uh Andre Drummond is much more aggressive attacking pick and rolls than DeAndre Jordan ever was. And that's good. We want Andre Drummond to do that. He's been awesome at it this year. It's been a really good thing for him. But Blake Griffin has to play very differently from how he's played the rest of his career. So it's understandable that there's going to be an adjustment period there. But there is a certain extent to which he does just basically, he does have to have to play harder and... Um, he should be not as sloppy as he's been at times. And, you know, I will give him credit for at least, and this is true on both ends of, of the floor, They do. he does seem to be making progress consistently in the right direction. Just I just wish, particularly offensively, I'm less concerned about it because I think he's really starting to get settled in. Defensively, it's just the progress has been a little slower than I would have liked. And But he continues to make good progress. And one thing within that is um, the coaching staff, I think, made a good decision to just scrap hit, having him be aggressive attacking pick and rolls like they've had most of their defenders be this year. Uh, they've had him sag back more, which is what he's comfortable with. He's better at it, too. And it's mostly been successful. So I think that that's, that's a good thing for... Uh, I think that's a good thing for Blake Griffin and the defense as a whole. But that's the big thing. I think the offense will work itself out. I think that they, especially with the way Reggie Bullock has sort of come into his own, which we'll talk about him a little bit more later, I think that the offense is going to be fine. I'm not worried about the offense. The bigger question is going to be, can they defend at all? Because they've really struggled to defend. So that's a big thing to watch going forwards. Um, I already talked about the Blake movement. And then the other thing, obviously, lastly, is just Drummond and Blake getting comfortable together. They are too good to not work together. I truthfully believe that. And once again, they've actually still mostly worked together, even though it hasn't always been pretty. 
when they are both on the floor, the Pistons have remained pretty good. They're much better than they are whenever those two are not on the floor. Um, some of the numbers have been better when they're split up, admittedly, but those two have been good together. And just watching them to get more comfortable together, more used to each other. Um, Drummond has really never played with a guy like Blake before. And he kind of has because he played with Greg Monroe, obviously, but Monroe is not the same. He's just not the same kind of player as Blake. There's certain ways in which, you know, they're not shooters, post-up guys, but it's not the same. Um, Monroe clearly is not as good a passer as Blake Griffin is, obviously. And so, you know, it's just, he's got to adjust back to that. And Blake Griffin, obviously, DeAndre Jordan, there are ways in which he's alike to Andre Drummond, but it's Drummond is much different still. So one other thing that I like with the offense that they've adjusted recently is they've put the ball back in Andre Drummond's hands a little bit more, um, and I think that's good. One of the reasons Drummond, I'm a lot of people brought up, so Drummond had started to do more bad post-ups since the trade. Part of that was just because the offense got had such upheaval, there were more possessions for everybody where the end of the possession just ends up being, well, someone has the ball and they have to shoot it. Um, that's just the reality. And so with Andre Drummond, that usually ends up, well, I guess I'm taking a post hook. But part of it is definitely that because he's sort of lost, he's off the ball more, so he's trying to post up, and your you know your first instinct when a guy tries to post up is, oh, he's got good post position, let's get him the ball. Blake Griffin in particular has been very purposeful in trying to get Andre Drummond the ball in the post when he gets good positioning. And I think that they can cut that down a bit again by letting him handle the ball more on the perimeter. And even though Blake Griffin is better than Drummond at that, um, I think it's still worthwhile to let Drummond do some of that. And it sort of reminds me back to something Stan Van Gundy said earlier this season about Andre Drummond, which is that Drummond is never a guy, and this is what Stan Van Gundy said at least, okay, that Drummond is never a guy who's ever going to complain about shot attempts. He doesn't care about them. What he cares about, though, he wants to have the ball in his hands some, which is totally fair. Um, so that's sort of the thing. And then I think he's much better in that sort of, you know, handle the ball in the perimeter, dribble handoff, set screens, et cetera, et cetera, mode. And I also think Reggie Jackson's return will help that a lot because Andre Drummond can start to get some buckets out of the pick and roll more um, because Ishmith gets him none, which is very, very frustrating. But I think that that will help, and that's a good move. Um, one thing worth mentioning, though, Andre Drummond's post-up numbers have gotten less totally atrocious this year. Um, he's been better about trying to go to the hoop. Obviously, when he gets fouled, it's no longer a totally wasted possession. Still too many jump hooks. The jump hooks are bad, but he has made some progress there. And I would be curious to see if... Basically, it's at the point that him posting up is still not what you want, but it isn't a lost possession anymore. Last season, if Andre Drummond posted up, it was basically a lost possession. It's still not good, but it isn't a lost possession. So that's just something worth mentioning there. So, yeah. Um, another thing I want to talk about is the bench mob as it is currently constructed. Um, I've talked about this a bit, but I'm going to say it again. I really like this group. Um, they're going to struggle to score. There's no way that they're not going to. Uh, in the current iteration, if Dwight Bikes is not able to hit some tough shots, it's probably going to be a bit ugly. Um, Tolo, Anthony Tolliver and Langston Galloway can obviously shoot, but Stanley Johnson can't shoot. Eric Moreland is basically a total zero as far as scoring the ball goes. 
Uh, Dwight Bikes can shoot a bit. But the thing that I like is they really, really defend. They just they hustle. They keep coming at you. They do not relent ever on both ends of the floor. They run that motion offense just utterly relentlessly. They're constantly in motion. And I just really like it. And honestly, I sort of threw this out. I'd still be, I'd be surprised if this happened. But given the way that Ishmith has sort of bizarrely um, become awful defensively over the past, like, couple months, it started before the Blake Griffin trade, actually, I think, but it got even worse then. Uh, ever since then, with that in mind, I honestly, I'd be awful tempted to play bikes over Ishmith. Because, I mean, Ishmith is not going to make you a ton better offensively. I do think he makes you better offensively than Dwight Bikes does. But he's not improving your defense over Bikes. I think Bikes is definitely an improvement defensively. I just, I don't think Ishmith is going to improve your offense enough to really move the needle on a unit like that, which is already going to be, which is so offensively challenged. So that's just something that I'd, I'd think about, at least, if I was Stan Van Gundy. And here's the other thing. If you give Bikes that shot and it works and you decide he can be the point guard, backup point guard, or at least you can keep him over Ishmith, then maybe you can try and move Ishmith to clear up a little bit of um, space, which the Pistons will should have some room to work with. Uh, and because Ishmith, he only makes $6 million, he's an expiring, so I'm pretty sure you could move him without having to take anything bad essentially, or give up anything extra. I don't think you'd get much for him, but I'm pretty sure you could move him without having to give do anything you didn't want to do, whether that's, you know, give up a second-round pick or take back a bad contract or something like that. So just something to keep in mind. Might not work. Um, if they play Ishmith, I'm certainly not, as the backup, I'm certainly not going to be super disappointed. Ishmith is much better as a backup than he is as a starter. Um, <coughs> next thing, Reggie Jackson, supposedly, Hopefully, I'll be returning after two more games. So tonight's game against Toronto, then they play the Bulls, then they have three days off before taking a West Coast trip. Those three days off when they're hoping Reggie Jackson can start practicing, and then they'll have him for the Coast trip, West Coast trip. So here's the things to say. First off, he's not gonna he's not gonna have a miracle or make a miracle with the Pistons. Um, I know that I personally had said that I kind of felt like they'd really play well once he came back. Um, given the way that the last week has gone, I'm sorry, I think that's not true. Um, Reggie Jackson is not going to save the defensive issues. Um, I think that they will get a lot better with him, but it's not going to be a miracle. And But the offense is going to be helped immensely by him. I absolutely think that. People actually guard Reggie Jackson, whether it's off the ball or on the ball. Um, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, he can, like, actually function. Um, and then the other thing is that Ishmith has been, I know, I've already touched on this a couple times, but he's been, like, bizarrely just terrible defensively over the last, like, month or so. And, you know, Ishmith has never been a great defender, but he's generally trended towards being kind of okay. He's always going to be undersized, which is an issue. But he plays really hard. He's kind of phonetic, frenetic, not phonetic, frenetic with his movement, uh, and that and that that gives people issues sometimes. But he's really just, he sort of often walks the line. And first off, his size is going to make him is going to be a problem no matter what. But he sort of makes up for it with activity. 
but because his activity is often kind of wild, he sort of is on a fine balance of playing with great energy and, you know, playing and being sort of unpredictable and tipping from being, oh, that's good, to actually this unpredictability just means you're out of position constantly. And he's definitely tipped to the wrong side of that in a big way over the last month or so. And that's one thing that makes me think Reggie Jackson's going to help because, I mean, normally I would say Reggie Jackson is probably a slight, at least a slight defensive downgrade from Ishmith. Um, Jackson is bigger, which helps things, but in particular, given the way he was defending before he got hurt this year, I actually felt feel like he would be a pretty significant upgrade no matter what. But even if we say Reggie Jackson is not going to be totally back 100% and such, he's almost certainly not going to be a worse defender than Ishmith has been recently. So that's another big thing that's going to help. And then the other thing is that from what I understand, and admittedly my understanding is very limited, just based on basically what other people have said and some other things, um, I think that he's probably going to actually be healthy. A lot of people sort of have... Um, PTSD from last year where Reggie Jackson came back and he was clearly not himself and he was terrible. And that's understandable that people have that, but from my understanding, this is probably not going to be the same sort of thing. First off is that they've been more cautious with his return this time. And um, so I think from what I understand, he should be totally good to go. But the other thing is that my understanding is, so with his knees... He's a guy who, um, he, it was mostly a pain tolerance sort of thing, more than anything else. And so, but when he was rehabbing and such, he was like, all right, I'm ready to come back. I can handle this pain. And then he started playing and, you know, pretty quickly it was like, oh crap, I actually, I can't do it. But of course then Reggie Jackson is too prideful to accept that. And then he kept playing before he was really ready to. And then it was like, so it's like he can do all of the things, but it just, the pain level is too much, right? Um, with this ankle thing, from my understanding, it's not so much a pain level thing. It's like, can you physically do it or not? And, you know, so within that, it's sort of like, it's kind of just a yes or no. With the knees, I my understanding is that it's sort there's it is sort of finicky and there's a big gray area of like well he can do it but like can he can he do it with the ankle no sprained ankles are finicky things no matter what they're different every time they're tricky etc 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 so it may well be that he comes back and he doesn't look good but there's a reason that they didn't give him an initial didn't give an initial um return time in stone they only recently gave the one where they're like yeah we think we can get him to practice over this when we have the three days off before this West Coast trip. That's where they were real. That it, that didn't happen that long ago. And the reason is because they were like, we're not going to rush him back, I think. So I'm actually fairly optimistic that he's going to come back and he's going to be healthy. And so I think that that'll help a lot. Um, last thing to touch on, tonight the Pistons will be playing against the Toronto Raptors. And the Toronto Raptors are stupidly good. The things the Pistons have going for them, first off, the Raptors are playing their second game of a back-to-back, third game in four nights, and the Pistons are at home, so they do have that going for them. The bad news is that the Raptors are stupidly good. Um, the, you know, they've got their playoff demons of the last several years still, so we'll see if they overcome those or not. But for now, they are the third-best team in basketball, pretty clearly. And 
So there's a very good chance that they're going to beat the Pistons still. But second night of back-to-back, third game in four nights on the road. That's always tough to win. So Pistons should have a chance. And then they turn around, play the Bulls, and then hopefully you've got Reggie Jackson back. So, um, you know, let's just say they get that win tonight, courtesy, you know, basically a schedule loss for Toronto. Let's just say that's what happens. Um, And then the Pistons beat the Bulls because the Bulls are terrible. Then you get Reggie Jackson back and you go on a run. Um, I'd still say they're, you know, it's a long, they're not going to make the playoffs. We'll just say, okay, they're not going to. Until one of the other teams starts to fall apart, I'm going to assume they're not going to make the playoffs. But you can definitely still finish the season on a note that's a high note and sort of gets everybody in the right mindset to know that um, whether it's, you know, fans or the team, or or the players just sort. I think that it's important to finish the season on a strong note, as much yeah, just as much for anyone else's, for the players, to make sure that they know this isn't going to be a disaster. It took longer to get stuff to get going how you wanted it to than you wanted, but this can work, and I think that's going to be important. So, yeah, and um, we're not quite to thirty minutes, but we're going to call that good. Uh, so everybody, stay beautiful. Go Pistons.